You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. This is Randy, and in the future, you're going to listen to an interview. (laughs) This is episode 73. This episode... Once again, we're going to do something a little bit different for the first Grolix podcast prime episode of the month. An interview with Robert J. Sadaro, writer of Owl Girls, which we discussed in he'll, he he remembers better than we do in episode 65, Grolix podcast 65. We discussed Owl Girls. We've been trying to get this interview lined up. It's our fault that it didn't happen till now, but it finally happened. We made good on our promise. And uh yeah, that's what that's what you're going to listen to, listener. Strap in, because Robert has done a little bit of everything. He he has done a little bit of everything, and he made this interview very easy for us. Thanks again, Bob, and uh, listener, enjoy. I'm Randy. And this is Jesse. And I am Melanie. And I'm Bob Sadaro. How's it going? Uh, well, you know, it's a, it's a crazy day. I, uh, I woke up a little while ago and uh, my technology is, is ultimately cooperating. So, so that's a good day. This interview has actually been a long time coming. And I apologize again for, for the delay. We're terrible about setting up and getting interviews going. Yeah. That's okay. I'm terrible around responding. So, it's, it's, so we're even. Good, good. So, did you write or co-write Owl Girls? Let me let me give you the background of, of Owl Girls. All right? Okay. okay. Um, I met Dave Ryan, who's the co-publisher of Red Anvil. Dave Ryan was publishing Red Anvil, and Joe Martino was publishing JGM Comics. And I met them both independently of each other. And I started, and Joe was doing uh, Mighty Titan, and I and I started do editing Mighty Titan and contributing some stories. To other publications that he was doing, and Dave was writing and illustrating uh, War of War of the Independence, which he was basically spoofing Civil War, Marvel's Civil War, mm-hmm. and that's how long ago this thing started. So I, I gave a couple of my char- I lent a couple of my characters, my independent characters, a couple of characters called Wolf Girls of mine that were published by the, the Comics Art Guild, and then I started helping edit War of the Independence, and then Joe and and Dave who knew each other decided to merge publishing companies, and they, which they did, and it's now simply called Red Anvil. Uh, and now I'm working, for, working and writing for both of them. Dave met a gal online who, this Italian artist, who was the artist for Owl Girls. Great art. Rachel uh, Raquel, I mean, she's Italian. I'm going to mispronounce her name, and I apologize for that. So she had this great art, for, this, this very, very eclectic art. And she had these great um, characters, and... She didn't know what to do with them. She knew she wanted them. She had this kind of background story of who they were. Again, they were three women. They were sisters. They had heads of owls and the bodies of, of humans. But she didn't know what to do with them. She wasn't a publisher. She had never been published. She, had done, she really didn't work in comics. But she kind of wanted to do something with them. And, and the conversation was Dave said, listen, I know this writer. Let's talk to him. Let's see if he's interested in writing a comic. I'd be interested in publishing it. So Dave contacted me, and then I, I talked to Rachel, and we talked, to, and we we worked out. I found out the background story. They're sisters. They're they're basically furies. They they talk to the dead. 
they're uh, from Italy, they're Italian women, but they're living in America. They're living in like 1940, I think, 1940s, mm-hmm. 20s. Yeah. I honestly don't remember. It was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyway, we, we started. So it was her, it's her concept, but the story that appeared in the first two issues, which unfortunately is all we got done, is, is entirely my story based on her concept. Hmm, okay. We got the third issue started, and a lot of things happened. Uh, I was going through a divorce. I stepped away from the project for a little bit. And then, so I don't, so I'm a little fuzzy on what happened, but Rachel stopped and, and Dave stopped. And, and But it, it, for some reason, the, the project got, got kind of mired in, I don't know, let's say personalities and, and technical issues. We're kind of stalled at issue two, or issue three, rather, which is still there and it's still in the books. I just saw some artwork from it uh, last month and for the first time, and it's beautiful. It's just awesomely beautiful artwork. And part of, and part of it was, since Rachel had never worked in comics, she never worked, and, and people can be great artists, but not great comic book artists. There's a difference there because it's the pacing, it's the angles. It's, it, we're, we're basically making a storyboard, a film storyboard. And, and so everybody has to look the same from panel to panel. Everybody, everything has to, there has to be uh, a cinematic look to it. Because while comic books are words and art, it's mostly art. And I understand this. I've been working in comics myself for over 30 years. I've been reading them for over 50. What happens is, so Dave was was helping her. She had never done a comic before. And so Dave was uh, doing basically doing breakdowns. Dave has been working in comics for quite a number of years himself. And he was doing all the breakdowns and she was doing all, and then she was doing the finished art. It, I mean, that's how we got through the first couple of issues. And... Dave and I kind of talked about whether or not we're going to, and I think Rachel is definitely no longer part of the project. You know, I came back to, to Red Anvil and I, you know, and I'm, I'm also writing uh, Cyberines for, which is one of uh, um, Joe's books, and which is a superhero, a paramilitary superhero group, sort of like uh, what if Captain America led the Avengers and worked for the military? Okay. All right. Okay. But that's a, but so anyways, but, but when I wrote Owl Girls, I, I was such a huge fan of Rachel's art that I very, very specifically wrote it so that the, there were big panels and very few words because I wanted the story, I wanted the art to carry the book. That was one of the things that you talked about. Where it's a very slow, it's a, it's a slow build. And I understand it's a slow build. The, the thing is, we're writing, I'm writing a novel. I'm, I'm literally writing a graphic novel. I, I have five issues in my head that, that, that I, I know exactly what's going to happen in each issue. I know where all the characters are going to go. Right. But it's a chapter. I So I have to build a first issue and it has to be complete and unto itself. And the second issue, again, has to pick up where it was from the last issue. But again, be complete and unto itself. The middle issue is, is going to lead to the climax. The, the fourth issue is the climax. And then, the, you know, and then the fifth issue is the resolution. So it's, it's a slow build, just like when you're watching a, an hour-long TV show or a film where not everything happens in the first three minutes of the film. Right. Not a lot of comic book people writing that because they're writing comic books. And, and a lot of what we see in the industry today and in, are called graphic novels are not graphic novels. They're episodic TV that are strung together. And, oh, look, here's a, here's a, here's a story arc. Let's make that uh-huh. into a – and, and they're, they're, they're graphic albums or trade paperbacks. So the the pacing is different on it, and especially in a superhero book, you got to have somebody punching somebody else every every couple of pages. Otherwise, you're going to lose your audience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Right. Yeah. I figured when we read it, I'm like, I mean, it's interesting. We're just in the beginning and we ha- we don't have access to more. I, I don't recall which episode number that was exactly. But yeah, Owl Girls had been added to our poll list. We have a, a poll, ongoing poll that visitors to the site or listeners can add suggestions to or vote on what's there. And then every month we pick the winner and then read that one and discuss it on the next month. But so Owl Girls had been on our poll list for years. I'm assuming since around the time maybe the second Kickstarter was going on, Mm -hmm. it got added. By the time we got to it and I started looking into it, I was like, oh, this is well past, you know, the time it would have been helpful for us to cover this book for the Kickstarter. But I felt bad at, not that we were necessarily critical of the book, but I felt like we, we were too hung up on like not knowing where it went mm. I think but I, oh what were you gonna say more so for me is that i mean while i was hung up on i didn't know where it went <laughs> but i was like but we can't we can't know where it goes and that makes me angry i get angry oh yeah because it seemed like it was dead in the water yeah and that yeah makes me and mad. you had shared that episode which was awesome and then you started uh we started messaging i was kind of like oh is he gonna be like is, oh is he gonna be upset that we were like Kind of like what's what's the deal with this book? Where's it going? You know? <laughs> no, no. I'm so, one of the, I'm one of those. Uh, um, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Just spell my name right, kind of guys. Oh, sure, <laughs> sure. You know? Yeah. You know, it was episode 65. Thank you. Near as I can determine. Um, yeah, I just did a quick look up on that. Uh, so anyway, yeah. Listen, I, I was very happy that somebody was still interested in it. Uh, um, the fact that it got on your pull list in the first place is stunning, and I'm I'm very very grateful. It, it's literally one of my favorite things that I've done. And I, I talked to Dave recently and he's not opposed to finishing off the, 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 the series. Cause uh, my own personal feeling is that the series is so, and I know and again, since I'm writing it and since I'm a huge fan of the artwork that's going on and, and all the people involved in the, in the production of it, I think we can get this done. And I think this is something that would put us on the map. I, I really think someone's going to look at this. Some, Somebody down the road. I mean, there's no money in comic books. There's really no money in unless you're writing, you know, one of the top tier books for one of the top tier companies. There really is no money in comic books. And what what all of us who are doing independent work are doing, we're we're a doing it because we love the medium. I, I like I said, I've been reading comic books since 1961, give or take, and uh, um, and we love the medium. We want it. We want to keep working in it because of our love. And then hopefully we're going to be the next, and, and it's the, always the, the comment is, yeah, we're going to be the next uh, Walking Dead. Someone's going to say, hey, this is cool. Let me make it an AMT series or, or something. And yeah. and then yeah. we're going to be wicked famous and we're going to be lighting cigars with $100 bills and, and you know, pipe, <laughs> pipe skiing or whatever. I don't know. So you, you were talking about uh, how the artwork was kind of driving the story. So how much of the art dictated the story versus versus the writing? Like, uh, were you able to kind of craft that that television uh, episode kind of feel, and then the art could be moved around to to help that work, or or were you kind of doing the Marvel method where you got the artwork and then you basically made sure that the story fit what you were given? No, it, the first way I, I wrote it full script. Okay. I mean, I grew up. I'm a I'm a huge I'm a huge Marvel fan, so I, I'm familiar with that. But as a rule, I write full script because uh, a lot of times when I'm writing something, I don't I don't know the artist, I don't know their skill set necessarily. Because a lot of a lot of my early stuff, it was uh, working on anthologies, and you submit a story, and then the publisher would match an artist with with the story. So I didn't know what what I was you know who I was getting. 
So I would write full script, you know, page one, panel one, this is what happens. Page one, panel two, this is what sure. happens. Although I always, whenever I've been able to, to talk to the artist beforehand, I, I would say, listen, you're the artist. If you see something that works better than what I've written, by all means, go ahead. And then I'll just adjust the story to fit it. And that happened early on. Uh, one, of the, one of the earliest books I worked on was a series called Agent Unknown, which was published by uh, uh, Renegade Press. Uh, Renegade Press, uh, uh, Denny Lobert. And if you don't know who Denny is, she's been in the industry for a number of years. You know, I hate to identify it to her this way, but she's Dave Sim's ex-wife. And everybody should know who Dave Sim okay. is, Cerebus. <laughs> but anyway, she, right. when they got divorced, she took all the non-Cerebus books away and started publishing them. I, I kind of was introduced to her and I pitched her the series and she liked it. And Del Barris was, uh, was the artist on that book. And I got three issues into that before the, the great black and white purge happened and all these books got canceled. And so I never got to finish, uh, finish that. And that's something I, I, I wanted. And that was back in the mid eighties. And that's something I've always wanted to get back to do. And hopefully one day I'll, I'll be able to, because I think the, the market has kind of stabled out a little bit. And now I, I have a more contact with, there's a lot more publishers that can, Bring the story to because I own the concept and the characters, but uh, um, so I would write a full script. I, and again, I had an I, I knew what her art looked like, and I grew up on TV and comic books, so I I understand how this works. I'm really it sounds you know uh, I don't know self promoting to say it, but I, I really have a good feel of how the, of how it goes together. I, I I know I've read enough about about the industry. I've been reading enough comics to know how, how this how to put this together and. I had a real clear image of what of what she was capable of doing and had and, and the story that I wanted to tell. Now, in the second issue, yeah, we introduced a young car, a young the young boy. Uh, the the women helped his one of the one of the women helped his his, his younger sister. She was she was sick and she got him better. Dave misinterpreted what I wrote and he changed something. And I went, oh, that's not the way it went. But you know what? Now that you said that, it actually works better in the script. And I altered the script to fit what Dave and Rachel had done, you know, so it was a, it was really a collaborative work. And then Dave suggested something that I hadn't planned on for the third issue. And I went, okay, fine. So I incorporated that into how I wrote the third issue. The third issue I wrote as I was stepping away. So I, that one, I just plotted out. It was like page one, this happens, page two, this happens. page, And I let it go. You know, if we can get that third issue put together and then I'll go, go forward with the, with the next two issues. Once we finally get to issue five, we would collect the, the, the five issues and put it together in a graphic album and, and, and an actual graphic novel and, and, and supplement that with uh, outtakes and sketches and maybe some background stories about what, what was going on and make a whole new package. So, and then we can get that into bookstores. And that has a longer shelf life than the individual comics. I'm also curious, you kind of mentioned your work on War of the in Independence. Mm -hmm. That's two issues and so many different independent uh, characters. What was that like to try and edit something of that magnitude? Oh, well, actually, it's four issues they have published. And, and Is it four issues? Okay. Yeah, there, there are four issues that are out now. And, and I guess we're going to – Dave is talking about rebooting it. Oh. <laughs> we're doing the whole thing because no one remembers. Right. That story came to me more fully formed, and I was editing it for uh, for content and, and copy editing more than actual direction. Okay. So, the, I mean, Dave had a very clear idea of what he was doing, where he was going with that, but it was just, just phenomenally difficult. And, and this is one of the reasons why it took so long to get it, 
because Dave went out and he knew all these independent guys. And they all went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then a bunch of them went, uh, no, 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 no. And then they backed away. So now we had to redraw pages and pull characters out and, re- and, and redraw a new character into that scene or rewrite that scene. So, it, And then he had to get people signing off. Uh, um, uh, Diamond wouldn't, wouldn't handle it unless he got written permission from every publisher and every creator and just getting these guys to go open your emails, download the letters, sign it, and send it back to me. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, some people agreed and then pulled their agreement. And it, it was just, it, it was crazy, crazy, insane, you know, working on it. And, and I, I edited a couple of issues. That was a lot of fun. And, and I really want to see that, that one come out, you know, f- finish up because my characters were going to show up in the issue that, that was next. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So they make an appearance in, I, I don't remember whether it was issue one or issue two. I think it was issue two. There's a great big scene, group scene of all the characters in my the, the two characters, uh, uh, Wolf Girls, are all the way tucked in the back, and they and the way the page was trimmed, they were almost almost completely cut out. Oh, I was like, I can see them in there, and I go, yeah, those are my characters right there, but <laughs> that, you you really can't see them. Uh, the Wolf Girls were the story. The story I had written it was uh, for, uh, as I said, the uh, the Comic Art Guild, uh, Guildwork Production was a, was the actual the name of the of the publishing group. The concept was. My friend Mark Maz was putting this together. I had met Mark years and years ago. Mark used to work at he – he, we worked at Marvel and he worked at DC and he worked at uh, uh, Crusade. And he did a bunch of independent stuff as well. He approached me you know, years after we met and he said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm hooked up with these guys and, and we're going we're gonna to do a, a horror novel. We're going to do a horror anthology. And it's about the, the fears of the 21st century. What frightens you? And I went, no, I don't want to – I literally said, no, I don't want to be part of this project because <laughs> – I hadn't written anything in a year and I hadn't written fiction in about 10 years. And I said, I'm not, my head's in a different spot right now. I'm and sorry, just to, to sidetrack for just a second. I had been working in comics since 81. I'd been, as I said, I've been starting reading in about 60, 61. I started working in comics about 81 as a, uh, a journalist for amazing heroes and the comics journal and basically any comic book magazine that you read in the in the late 80s, early 90s, I wrote for it. I, I could tell you, it was easier for me to tell you which which magazines I didn't write for. I virtually wrote for everybody. And oh, wow. then the in like 95, the market dropped out. In 96, when the market crashed, all the print magazines stopped publishing. So so, that, so I hadn't written, I hadn't written anything in a, in a really long time. And like I said, like a year. When he called me up, he said, I want you to do that. I want you to write this. He said, no, absolutely. You're the guy I want. I want you to do this. Some, a couple of guys who, who were writing for me, they kind of uh, uh, dropped the ball. And I want you to write a story. And, and again, it was just, what, what uh, frightens you in the 21st century? And, they, and I'm not talking about werewolf zombies and, and creatures of the night. Oh, my. I'm talking about what really frightens you as a 21st century real, real world adult. And I said, I, I, I hate horror. And I haven't written in a long time. So no, I'm the one for seeing it. And he insisted that I be the, be the guy. And I went, listen, I got to go pick up my son. My son's at work. Let me go pick up my son. So I went and I picked up my son. And between the time I, I hung up the phone, picked up my son and came back, about an hour had passed. And I called Mark back and I said, wait a minute. Is this what you want? And I pitched him an idea. And he said, that's exactly what I want. Write that up. And I went, Okay. So I wrote it. I took a couple of weeks and I wrote the story. It was an eight-page story. It took me a week to write the first six pages and another week to write the second two pages. And, and the reason for that was because 
as a, as a parent of two young children, my kids were 15 and 13. The worst thing I could think of was my kids are, are abducted. Right. Uh, and somebody, you know, so, something happens to my kids. So I wrote a story about two prepubescent girls who were picked up by a pedophile and brought to a cabin in the woods. And he was going to do truly, truly nasty things to them, except that it turns out that the two little girls were actually werewolves. And it was the full moon and they were stalking him, not the other way around. So they went, oh, yeah, um, it takes us. We, we learned that it takes us three days to consume a full grown male. Don't worry. We'll make sure you stay alive right to the very end. <laughs> yeah. You, you pull away from the cabin and you hear a scream. And then the last panel of the, of, the, of the story, it's 28 days later, 150 miles to the southwest. The two girls are sitting on a swing set and there's a guy standing there with a, a dog collar and the girls are going, oh, don't worry, mister. We'll help you find your puppy. <laughs> oh, wow. We did. A, uh, when we published the book, we went to a horror fest in New Jersey and to, to de debut the book. And the cover artist was looking at me and he said, uh, uh, hey, that is great. I love the story. What's the next story about? And I said, there is no next story. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, you know the joke, you know the story. There's no way from, I mean, because I didn't, re the, the reveal happened on page seven that these two girls were werewolves. Mm -hmm. You know what's going on. If you read the first story, you know what's going on. And I can't keep pulling that same trick because you know the joke. Yeah, yeah. You right. know, it, this, isn't, this isn't Lucy and Charlie Brown and they were pulling the, 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 the football away every time because you know she's going to do it. So I said, no, there, there is no other story. That's it. We're done. And then like five minutes later, I said, Melvin, did I ever mention how much I hate you? And I just met Melvin. And he said, why? What did I do wrong? And I said, well, I'm sitting here trying to write the story, and I can't write the story that I'm intending to write because of the story you just put in my head. And he said, yes, there is more stories because right here in this one line, one of the girls says, 150 years ago, we were bitten by a werewolf. So there's 150 years worth of stories that you can tell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so now I've got that in my head. So, so Melvin... Uh, Mark and I, we sat there. We kind of brainstormed a, a, a larger blanket of, over, you know, a framework of a story of who these girls were. Well, all right, they 150 years ago, it was 1856. Uh, they were living up in, you know, they were they were living in some cabin, someplace in the woods, and their father was a preacher. And that's as far as we got. From there, I went and I wrote the story. Okay, now we have how they became werewolves. Now, the, the story that's missing is how they went from being werewolves to werewolves who stalk pedophiles. And you know what we have then? And Melvin said, oh, a graphic novel. I went, no, we have a movie. <laughs> but we, I got I a new artist. The third story was never published. It was, it was completed, but never published. Mark and I have, uh, again, it's a financing issue. We want to compile the three stories and put it together in, in its own standalone comic, you know, and, and go on from there. Meanwhile, I, wrote, I actually wrote a novella about the girls, and then I wrote another story where they're wandering around in uh, Italy, and they, and they run into a couple of vampires, which is kind of a fun story. The vampire story is part of it. It's a short story, and that's involved in an anthology, and that's going to be published later this year. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. As I said, I wrote that story when my son was 15. He's now 27. So it's been a little while, but I'm getting back to doing uh, uh, comics and, and fiction and, and writing, and uh, I couldn't be happier. And I love that it was uh, this one-off story that you're like, no, the gag's on page seven. Where, where do you go from there? Yeah. <laughs> and, 
you know, and that that happens to me a lot. There was a, I met these two gals at a, uh, at a comic book show several years ago, Belkis and, and Jennifer. They were, they were basically eye candy for some comic book booth. Uh, Belkis was there on Saturday and Jennifer was there on Sunday. And I had met Belkis earlier through another project to another friend of mine. She was the, uh, she was a model and an actress and she loved comic books and she was, you know, she was doing uh, um, cosplay and stuff. So I, I was chatting her up, you know, to, to, throughout the show. I'd stop by the table and chat. And you know, on Sunday, I, I went back to that table and she wasn't there, but Jennifer was there. I kept going back because I kept wanting, I really wanted to talk to, to Belkis. And then finally, Jennifer said to me, you're just coming back for Belkis. You, you, you want to talk to Belkis, don't you? And all of a sudden, uh, I'm a cad because I don't want to talk to her. I want to talk to, <laughs> you know, her. her. I mean, and they're both very pretty. And, and, and Belkis was stunningly beautiful. And whereas Jennifer was just beautiful. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I'm sorry. And she said, no, no, that's okay. She's hot. She's, you know, I understand she's hot. You know, Bel- Belkis is hot. I get it. And I said, yes, Belkis is hot, but you're totally hot. Mm-hmm. And then my mind started spinning in a way to, to try to make me seem less creepy. And I went, wow, that's actually kind of cool. You know, you, you two girls should, should get dressed up in, in spandex and go out as, as a hot girl and totally hot girl. Somebody should write that comic. <laughs> Wait, I'm a writer. I can write that comic. <laughs> I was good. I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you about that one specifically. Yeah, so I did. <laughs> so I wrote this story about hot girl and totally hot girl. And the, the gag is that Jennifer, it, it, that, that, that Belkis is hot girl and Jennifer is totally hot girl. They were the dynamite duo. They met this guy, Roy, at the at a movie theater that I worked, I mean, that I used to frequent. And he was a comic book artist. And I looked at his art and I went, man, you have the best art. I want to totally, I want, I want to get you published. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, no, no, really, really, I got this great script. So I had already had the script. I wrote the script and the, both the girls loved the story because it was just, it, it's, it's bad puns and good girl art and not necessarily in that order. No, it's, it's good girl art and bad puns and not necessarily in that order because the truth, well, the truth of the matter is the good girl art is just there. So you'll read my very, very bad puns and like the story. <laughs> I see nothing wrong with this. Okay. And I guess I actually self-published it and I published it through a group called uh, Pronto Comics. That are, It's a consortium of creators who basically work together. It's, it's like an old, uh, uh, an old, an old Mickey Rooney movie you know i have a band my dad has a garage hey let's have a band and uh, so it's, it's i have a I, you know i'm an artist you're a, you're a writer let's 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 put something together and then they publish it and they publish it under pronto comics and pronto comics has like i don't know 50 or 100 comic books out some of them are are, are solo efforts and some of them and, but most of them are compilations of, of groups of people they, they all publish under the, the banner of pronto comics which now makes them a group and they show up and they, they can go to shows and they have all these comic books that they, they that they're publishing and so now they're a collection and so they can do the whole thing as groups of people and, and now they instead of just me standing alone it's me standing with all these guys so I published it under Pronto Comics. I took the whole thing, and, and I'm also a graphic artist. So I, I took all the art that, uh, uh, that that Roy did, and I put it together, and I did the and I, and I and I published it, and it's an eight page comic, and it's available on Indie Planet, The Adventures of Hot Girl and Totally Hot Girl. So that yeah, that was that was, and I, I I've gone on to publish two other uh, short comics with uh, uh, with Pronto. Uh, one is called uh, First in Flight, which is a a story about Gustav Whitehead and. That's an eight pager that I put together. And then another one, which was called Perception, which was kind of a psychological thriller. And that one I wrote Marvel style because I wanted to work with this particular artist who is just phenomenal. And he had this very, very cool style of art. And I, I wrote a story and it was just all broad strokes. And I said, 
it was basically a page one, page two, page three. These are the things that happened. Draw, draw it any way you want. Draw whatever you want. I will fit the I will fit the, the copy to fit the uh, the story. And he did. And it took him a couple of years to draw. It. And it was okay. He kept saying, "I'm really really sorry. Don't worry about it. I specifically wrote the story for you. I want you to be the artist. Finish it." And he did. And it was again the phenomenal story from the art. And then I I you know I knew it. I had the dialogue all written. And then I got another guy, and we put the, the dialogue on the page so it didn't interfere with the art. It came out pretty well. So I had these three comics that I did with Pronto. Nice. And, I, and again, and, and I've done a bunch of other stuff for a bunch of other independent publishers. Uh, uh, Main Enterprises has published a bunch of my stuff. And, and they think we're in a better environment to now get these things done because we have print-on-demand. And, and like the, the Indie Planet comics that I did for Pronto are all print-on-demand, and as, as are the, the, the couple of anthologies that I'm involved in. It's all print-on-demand. And and the the uh, centennial book, you don't have to print a hundred thousand copies. Figure out how to distribute them. You just have to talk about it, and then send people to the link, and then they can either download a, uh, a digital version of it, or they can order a print version of it. And then, of course, because of Facebook, I, I'm involved in a couple of uh, online uh, comic book groups, and one of them it's Indelible Comics, and it's uh, the characters from the Dell Comics universe are all now public domain characters. And it turns out, oddly enough. One of the characters is called Owl Girl, who was a sidekick of the character Owl Man. Huh. Owl Girl, I wrote Owl Girl. What are you talking about? Oh, no, no, this is the Golden Age Owl Girl. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. And I looked at it and I went, and they say, hey, you want to write a story about Owl Girl? Okay, I'll write a story about Owl Girl. So I wrote a story about Owl Girl, which is being illustrated and it's going to show up in Indelible Comics. And then I wrote a prose story about Owl Girl, which is going to show up in a prose version of those characters. That's, and those are also due to be published this year. I have a, I have a lot of, after a, a, a long time of not publishing, I have a lot of stuff coming out this year and I'm very, very excited. About yeah, that's it. cool. So now I'm going to have to actually build my website and point to all the, uh, the comics that I have because they're all being published by different publishers and, and send people and go, Oh, go buy your stuff. And then hopefully someone will go, Hey, bomb, we want you to work for Marvel comics and write Spider-Man. And I'm going to go, cool. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to need like a Venn diagram to show where all the characters exist. <laughs> like, this character's here, but he also makes cameos here. Yeah. So uh, with, with all these projects that you have coming out, are there any artists that you're looking to work with? Or do you kind of prefer to discover artists that, that you... Uh, um, I with? would... Uh, there are a couple artists that, you know, that they have worked with and I want to work with again. Uh, Roy Carlin, who did the Owl, who did the Hot Girl and Totally Hot Girls. I, I want to work with Roy again. A couple other, and Rick London, who did the Wolf Girl story at the end. I want, I'd like to work with Rick again. I, I'd like to find some other artists, not necessarily discover them, but people who, who have a, a small body of work and want to work on stuff. I, I'm always open to working with. The thing about this is being this creative bug that's in my head. I've always written stories. I used to write short stories, well, long stories when I was in high school and no, nowhere, nowhere to put them. <laughs> but I would write the story because you know what? It's in my head and I have to sit down and I have to write. And I, and I wrote it and I wrote a lot of stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, I've been working as a writer uh, uh, for my entire professional life. I've worked in radio at ad copy. I've written uh, as a journalist for, as I mentioned, all the comic book magazines. I've, I have a couple of books that I've, that I've written. One of them was called uh, Kitty Mail Collectibles. It was all about fast food toys and collectibles. I have a, I have a, a freelance ink INK on Facebook, which is, uh, which is, which I'm, I'm starting to put up all my, all the, you know, some, a lot of the work that I've done in, in different albums. And, and I'm trying to, again, grab new clients. I worked for a number of years during the eighties and nineties. Again, I worked for, I, I worked for Marvel. I worked in Marvel age. I worked for DC. 
you know, in, in some of their marketing materials. I did work for all the major publishers, Dark Horse, Image, Acclaim. It seems like to me with a lot of industries and kind of maybe this one too, and you can confirm for me then possibly, is it a lot of it like getting your work published and done uh, about who you know more so mm, than, connections, than, yeah. than ha- just ha- being talented? Yeah, it's a little both. I mean, I, because again, not speaking through a sense of ego, I am really good at this. And I, and I, and I say that not because I think I'm really good, but because people other than my mom have told me that. Yeah. I have a, I have a blog site that I, I haven't, I've kind of let sit for a while, but it, it's, it's called is nothing sacred. And it's on, uh, um, freelanceinc.blogspot.com mm-hmm. where I talk about my stuff. And, and in the, in the header, I said, you know, one of the things that makes me a writer is that I think that what I say has value and, mm-hmm. and I'm arrogant enough to believe that it has so much value that you're going to want to read it and somebody else is going to pay me for the privilege of publishing it so that you can read it. Right. And when my first published piece in print was for Amazing Heroes in like issue four or five, I think. I had gotten a job in radio at a college. One of the radio stations I worked at, a guy named Mike Robb, knew the guys who published Fantagraphics, who did the comics journal and Amazing Heroes. He said, hey, they've got this new publication called Amazing Heroes. And he introduced me to a guy named Mike Catron, who was the editor at the time. You know, And then Mike said, what do you like? And he said, I like Spider-Man. All right, write an article about Spider-Man. So I wrote an article about uh, Steve Ditko in Spider-Man. And then I went, you know, I bet you there's other people who want articles. And I kind of looked around and found somebody else who wanted an article. And I pitched an article to them and they liked it and I got it. And every art- I used every article I wrote to get to the next level of, of the next article. And I met and, and at a local comic show in, in Danbury, Connecticut. I met a guy named Jeff Roven. I met Jeff Roven and Jeff was doing a, uh, uh, Jeff had been in the industry for a very, very long time. And I showed him my, uh, I showed him my portfolio. I literally put my portfolio together. Right. And he was, and he, and he was looking through it and going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, giving me the don't call us, we'll call you kid. And he got to the last article that I had published, which was like the fifth or sixth or eighth article that I had written. And he looked at it and it was a piece I called My Heroes Had Always Been Killers, which was for Amazing Heroes. And it was a defense of Wolverine having killed a couple of people in uh, the, the Savage Land who were villains and, and basically just random thugs working for some other villain. Mm-hmm. And somebody had written an article about how you can't, uh, our heroes shouldn't be, shouldn't kill, you know, superheroes shouldn't kill people because there's a whole big thing about, they always have a code against killing. Well, I felt that that was inappropriate because first of all, Wolverine was a soldier. In every war movie I'd ever seen, John Wayne was a hero. He was a killer, you know, all, and I, I named a bunch of characters who were, who were my personal heroes, fictional heroes, who were killers. And, and we never had a problem with them being killers. Why is it we have a problem with superheroes being killers? And I defended Wolverine's actions for having killed these two characters. And I did it in, you know, a couple of thousand words. He had, and he looked at that and he went, I just read that article. This is great. I love it. I have work for you. Because he was publishing a video game magazine. So he started giving me work. And I was doing, I was reviewing video games for him. And then he hired me on as an editor for his video game and, and computer game magazine. Video Game Illustrated in Ahoy, a magazine about uh, uh, Commodore 64. I used that. Well, and again, every time I wrote something, I, I added it to my portfolio as how now I have more contacts and more and more things published and more credibility as a writer. Right. A bunch of the guys who I who I knew at Fantagraphics left Fantagraphics and went to work for other companies. I then contacted them and said, "Hey, let me write for you." And they said, "Okay, fine." And then I, again, every time I used that, I 
got another job and worked another thing. And a writer writes. And after you write, you get published. And if you can write, you can write the best novel in the world. But if you never publish it, it doesn't count. It simply just doesn't count. You have to publish. If there was like someone new that was trying to get into the industry, then would you would you say they should spend at least as much time trying to like network or maybe not as much time, but as they do, you you know, just creating. I I would tell them to to find something better to do that that pays more money. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably yeah. a good point. Yeah. Um, actually, no. Uh, yeah, you have to you have to network. I, I found out that I got most of the work that I got after I met the editors of the publications that that mm-hmm. I was working for. You know that that always helped because then they know who you are and they talk to you as opposed to just hi, Mister So and So. Can I write such and such for you? Yeah. Uh, although a lot of editors I worked for hired me on the basis that I had been writing and, and had uh, a body of work. Knowing your subject matter is also important. Before we wrap the interview up, you had mentioned Cyberines, and that sounded like the most recent uh, series you worked on. Yes, that's where issue I had. I wrote issue one again. That's Joe Martino's concept and his characters, and he told me what what he wanted, and I wrote a story based on what he told me. So I wrote issue one. He had written the the Cyberine characters for another publication, but he was writing them as eight and ten page stories. So we kind of cobbled those together and made issues two and three. He never had an origin story, and I wrote the origin story. So he put together the stuff that he, he had done under JDM, and that came out as issue two and three. And I wrote issue four and five, and issue four is done, and we're waiting to get it printed and published, and issue five is being illustrated right now. Okay. If you, ever, if you get issue one of, of Cyberines, it might say it was written by R.J. Michaels. That's me. I, I wrote it. On, I, I wrote it under a pen name because at that point in time, I was going through my divorce, and we wanted to separate that from me because we were afraid that my soon-to-be ex-wife was going to sue for the, uh, the intellectual property rights of my characters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to claim money off of uh, uh, off of that. She didn't, as it turned out. But but when issue one came out, I looked at it and I went, "Oh my God, this looks like a real comic book." And Joe was like, what do you mean it looks like a real comic book? Of course it's real. I said, no, no, you don't understand. This is the first comic that I had written that looks like comic books that I read growing up. Oh, yeah. Because it was very much in, it's very much 80s Marvel. Because that's where Joe grew. That's where Joe came of age. A just action-packed superhero book. The concept is Cyberine is the main character. And he's a a veteran of the war in, in Iraq. And he, he was injured and he was then given cybernetic enhancements. And then he was put together with a team of other characters, of other uh, individuals. And now these guys work for the military. So basically, he's he's Joe's Captain America. That's the concept we're working with over there. And they, they work for the, the paramilitary group. They work for the government. But they're superheroes. And they find out they're superheroes. So we've got, uh, we've got a bunch of stories coming out with that. And that's, again, that to me is just very, very exciting because... It looks like a superhero comic book to me, and, and it's it's just and and Joe has gotten some amazing artists to to work on that book, and it's it's a lot of fun. And again, I'm going to be working with Joe and Dave on, on more stuff. I'm working with uh, Jim Main on more stuff coming out from uh, Main Enterprises. I'm working on a bunch of other stuff of my own to also uh, continue just writing and and doing funny books, and and I'm having a great time. I really really enjoy doing doing the stuff that I'm doing. You can follow me a little bit on, I'm on Facebook. I'm also in, in, in uh, freelanceinc.blogspot.com. And Inc. is I-N-K. 
I actually, I actually stole the name from a, a, an old friend of mine. He's an, he's an artist. His company name was Freelance Inc. I N K. And then when the, I met, I ran into him a few years after that. And I said, "Are you still using Freelance Inc.?" And he said, "No, I don't use that that name anymore." I said, "Oh, fine, I'm stealing it." <laughs> so I stole it with his permission, and uh, I've been using it for about thirty years. That's now good, nice, yeah. Because it, yeah, it, it, it's it's fun for me. So, so you. <laughs> You made this like the easiest interview I've ever I've ever done. <laughs> but any question I had, I just had to like sit back and let you go, and you hit every question. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, it's it's fun for me because having worked as a journalist for ten or fifteen years in the industry and, and longer actually, but I'm always on I'm always on your side of the desk, uh-huh. and, and I'm always asking questions. And I did an interview for uh, Hero Illustrated some years back, and it didn't have my name in it. It was, it was just the interview itself was Hero Illustrated talk to so-and-so. And my editor from, I, I was working for Wizard at the time also. And my editor at Wizard said, did you do this interview for Hero? And I went, yes, I did. How did you know? And he went, it's, it's your style of questions. I said, I had no idea I had a style of questions. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't understand that I, that I asked questions in a certain, a certain fashion. And he was able to understand that that's who I was. Interesting. And I yeah. thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's cool. I, I'm really, again, I'm really excited about this. I like to talk. I worked on radio for a number of years as, as a DJ. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all through college. So talking is a lot of fun for me. And, you know, I'm Italian and you can't see that I'm moving my hands the whole time. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys taking time and putting up with my nonsense and and, and reviewing my book. And I want everyone to go out there and buy the other books that I'm I'm, I'm working on. And... uh, and when you when you when you get this thing up online, let me know, and I'll uh, I'll, I'll promote it, and I'll, I'll post it on all my social media because, you know, I think you guys have a. I, I listen to a couple of your podcasts, and, and they're 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 rambling and eclectic and uh, fun to listen to. <laughs> oh, good, thank, thank you. you. I appreciate yeah. that. And yeah, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Sorry it took so long to get the interview going, but I'm I'm glad we I'm glad we finally did it. No, I'm, I'm I'm happy to do it. And, and when I and when I'm done here, I'm going to meet you know a, a friend of mine. We're going to go see the uh, the uh, uh, um, the Teen Titans movie. Oh, oh, fun. Okay, that's what we do. That's what I, that's what I do on my days off. I I, I go see superhero movies. <laughs> that's all right. It's a decent way to spend your day. It is. We record podcasts talking about superhero movies, so it's not too far <laughs> yeah. off. And then I, right, and then and then of course I go on, and then of course I write about the podcast and the, the stuff that I thought. So yeah. it's all good. <laughs> all right, thanks, Bob. Have fun at Teen Titans. Teen yeah. Titans. Go. All right, thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the Grolix Podcast. The Grolix Podcast is a production of the Electronic Media Collective and Vocal Arrow Studios. For more Grolix Podcasts, visit GrolixPodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast. Or follow us on Twitter at Grolix Podcast. We're also everywhere. All the time. All at once. And a total side note, I, when we first started communicating, I think it was on Twitter. I come across you on Twitter. You sent us a message on Twitter. And then I was trying yeah. to get a hold of you back. And I ended up friend requesting you on Facebook. And I just want to say I enjoy your political posts <laughs> quite a bit. We don't have to get into it, but I enjoy them quite a no, bit. No, that, that's fine. Yeah. I'm, uh, uh, yeah and, and the thing about that is I, I was never... 
I was never really political. I, I, I mean, I grew up not, I mean, I grew up being against the war in Vietnam because, you know, it, we all were at that time, but I, I had uh, my, my political views have, have subtly changed and matured over the years. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, the opinion that I have is because of who I am and how I was raised and where I was in my cultural, ethical, and, and ethnic, and, and religious background. Mm-hmm. But because I, I became associated, and again, this is maybe this has something to do with networking and helped me in my networking, is I became aware that, oh, wait, you have a different opinion. And it's not because, and your opinion isn't wrong, but it doesn't make my opinion wrong either. It gives more validity to other people's, the way people look at things. Mm-hmm. And, and I became more open-minded, I think, in, in how, I, how I view things and how I look at the world. And I think that, that that's very important. We should, we should always be aware of, of other people's opinions and attitudes and, and not think you're wrong just because you think something different. That's funny. Randy was just telling me last night, we were having a discussion and he was arguing with somebody on the internet and they said, well, none of this is affecting me negatively, but you know, there's more than... Yeah, that's a big problem. One person in the world, so... It's like, well, if it doesn't affect you, then I guess everything is fine in the world. Like, come on. Like, that's a big problem is... And it does tie into your point of um, getting out of your echo chambers, getting out of like your area and like realizing there are other people that certain issues do affect that maybe you yeah, should just think because about. A prob- and- just, just because something isn't a problem for me doesn't make it not a problem. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And having like, you know, having that um, exposure to more diverse crowd and more diverse opinions eventually people start to pick up like, oh, this is why these things that I hear about affect people. And maybe they do start to care or develop an opinion of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I can only hope so. It, you know, it, it's not like, it's not like pie. The more, the more rights aren't like pie. It's not like when someone else is getting more rights that I get less rights. Yeah. You know? No, that's a, I love that. That's great. You know, it, it, because you know what, there's, there's, there's a reason and it's not political correctness. It's being aware of, or somebody else's issues. You know, I, I remember sitting in my front yard and I, and, a, and I live on a dead end street and a, and a patrol car, a cop patrol car came down the street and drove around and I said, and all of a sudden I was like, you know what? I decided I like police. You know why I like police? Because I own stuff. <laughs> but I am also aware of the fact that not everybody likes police because some people have a different experience with police. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I try to be open-minded about things, and, and and every once in a while, somebody will go will say, and I'll go, oh yeah, right. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to do that or say that. I need to be educated sometimes, and <laughs> I don't mind being educated. My uncle, who was a very very wise man, said uh, it, we we used to call this in my house Uncle Frank's rule. You have two eyes and two ears and only one mouth, so that means you're supposed to look and listen twice as much as you talk. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> And judging by this interview, I never actually listened to him. <laughs> <laughs> uh.